We gotta go to the bullpen. Welcome to the Highland Bullpen, the all-new podcast bringing America's pastime to Scotland shores. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer heading for Cooperstown or you're fresh out of the minor leagues, this is the podcast for you. Hello listeners, wherever you are, and a warm welcome to the Highland Bullpen coming to you on Roberto Clemente Day, a really significant milestone in every MLB season. I'm here with my fellow bullpen bros. We have Yorkshire Dave, Dave Jr. and Alan. And guys, it's been a a fascinating seven days. And if the action could, I don't know what happens when action can't get any hotter. But certainly for my for my Mariners and particularly for Yorkshire Dave's Red Sox, there is absolutely everything to play for over the closing stretch of the 2021 MLB MLB season. And and Yorkshire Dave, I think I have to come to you because I think I've got the kind of whatever the opposite of Midas touches. Because last week I was kind of talking up the Red Sox chances of, of really kind of cementing that second place in the AL East. And in the past seven days, you've gone from second to fourth in the table. You're now trailing the Blue Jays, the Yankees, and the Rays. Now, obviously, the Rays are, are well out of sight, but you're in a hell of a three-way fight for that second spot in the division. Yeah, I know. It's, um, it sounds bad that we've gone from second to four, but I think in defence of, of Boston, it's like some crazy virtual three club tie for the second wild card spot. I think, you know, when we're talking about last uh, last week's episode, uh, which I've just listened to and is extremely good, by the way, I think it was one of, one of our really good, uh, not that they're all great, not great, but you know what I mean? It was uh, it really played out well. Uh, since then, Boston has played six games. They've won three, lost three, and um, they they won the last game of the, against the Rays 2-1. They then lost the series against Dave's White Sox um, 2-1. All the games in that series were decided by one run. And um, then, obviously, they're up against your um, pretty hot Seattle. And um, I think they lost the first game to that by one run, wasn't it? It was a bit of a pitcher's duel. And then um, uh, Seattle edged ahead 4-3. So I've been keeping... An eye on things, but I did get a bit of a shot this morning because I didn't look at the standings the day before. But you kind of know what's going on, and and uh, it, I thought well, when I looked at it, it, it does hit you a bit when you see them in fourth. Um, they have played a game more, so this is the situation. This is how strong the AL East is. The Tampa Bay Rays are top. I think they're nine games clear. Um, and then you've got New York, Toronto, Red Sox. New York and Toronto have played 82, lost 65, and uh, that's a 558 percentage. And the Red Sox uh, played yeah, 181, lost 64. Sorry, I've got this the wrong way around. 
That's yeah. Boston is 82.65 with a 5.58, and the other two are 81.64, a 5.59 percentage. So um, obviously, it does. You know, this percentage way of doing things is is good, but you know, they could win their uh, game in hand, so to speak, and gain a half point on each other. But I, I don't even ask me what happens if all three finish with identical uh, percentage wins after an identical record after 162 games. I don't even know. I don't even want to go there. But um, looking at looking at the run-in, which you sort of have to do now, um, you know, we obviously play Seattle tonight, which is another incredibly tough game. Seattle will be really looking to, to win that one and, and get closer themselves for that second wild card spot. Uh, and then after that, they have a rest day, quite a few rest days, Red Sox, which they might need. And they have an eight-day homestead. So that's going to be really important. Three, first three against the O's. So you're looking to at least win that series. Possibly could do with sweeping it, really. Two against the Mets, who are getting good. And then three against the Yankees. So that that could be the decider between... Red Sox and the and the Yankees. Um, the last six are very winnable on the road to Baltimore and Washington, but let's deal with this. Eight games at home is a really good opportunity for Red Sox. So um, yeah, it's uh, just what we need, isn't it? A real uh, exciting one, and it's great, but it's also tough on the nerves. Yeah. Well, at least the the, the pride of Fenway managed to settle the nerves a bit earlier today. As we record Yorkshire Dave, because they beat my Mariners 8-4 in the first of today's doubleheader. So they, they avenged that defeat in the first game of the series. But as you rightly say, they're playing later on this evening in the rubber match. And, and we'll see if the Red Sox emerge from that or whether the Mariners can claim a series victory. But Alan, I know you're a man that loves your percentage points and your statistics you must enjoy seeing it when we get down to this part of the season where you're getting 100, 200 of a point separating teams and deciding who's bound for the playoff glory and who's left resigned to face another year having just missed out. Yeah, I yeah. can't remember which teams it was, but I was looking at one in the last couple of days where the, the percentage point between them was something like 0.01 or something, but they actually, the, the game difference, I think one, one had obviously played one, or won one, and lost one more than the other team. So they were actually practically in the same position in terms of games apart. So the statistical difference, and I think it's what Dave was saying there about his fourth place really that bad and going to stay there because some of this now comes down to the number of games played uh, in terms of percentages. So that's why one of the other great things about baseball and actually American sport in general, where they have games behind. The, I always struggled with that in a sense, but it's it's exactly the same as games in hand. I think the problem with games in hand as a concept um, for Scottish football fans, I think if you look at the top of the table, games in hand tend not to mean too much because you have two teams winning most of the time. And when you look at the bottom of the table, 
games in hand tend not to win too mean too much because you have teams losing the whole of the time. And in the likes of baseball, where most teams are somewhere between 400 and let's say 650, it's a fairly it's a fairly even split. Imagine having the Premiership as compressed as that every season instead of the bottom team being 74 points behind the winning team. So, um, interesting comparison. Dave, Dave, I don't know if you've got a thought on that. Yeah, it's just something uh, I hope you can, you can give me tonight, guys, okay, and everyone out there in, in listener land. Uh, when we talk about games behind and games in hand, very often I'm thinking towards the end of a baseball season, and as Richard's just illustrated a moment ago, you'll come up with a situation where you can, you've got double headers. Now, I would imagine winning a double header, as in both of those games in the same day, I'd love to see the stats there, but I'd imagine that's very hard if, you, if you're playing your, your first choice nine or um, your first choice team two games in a row over that same day. Bearing in mind, you've probably played a game 24 hours before that as well. And so you potentially get three, three games in you know, 24 hours almost. Um, so I'd imagine that winning those games in hand towards the end of the season are very, very tricky. If you're Dave's Boston and you're trying to really pick those games up or you know, a more perilous position, like be Richard Manhurst just now, where you're trying to claw those games back to get into the wild card spot. So, if, you know, and again, I know that sh- uh, scheduling plays a huge, huge part. I know that just you know, incremental weather can play a real part during the year as well. But if you're left with a real surplus of games and you need to win them towards the end of the season, that's very tricky when you're looking at seven inning games. I'm not sure if uh, if that's something that you feel is, is a real pertinent point as the year goes on, guys. I think it. I think the stuff about the, the the games in hand and that is it is a relevant point. If you had. If you were looking at the team at the top of the football premiership playing the team at the bottom twice, you you would almost be saying in football parlance that's going to be six points for the team at the top and, and zero for the the one at the bottom. But in baseball, yeah, you're you're right. The reality is you're probably getting a fifty fifty split. Um and, and and then the composition of the games going into the last we we stretch as well as important. I've I've not studied that in any depth. I don't know. Can can you look, do you look at that and think somebody's got a better running or easier running or or the one thing and we'll talk about it later. But one thing I noticed then is the prevalence of injuries from a fantasy league perspective. How uh, that that is fairly significant as we go on here. Well, absolutely, and and I think it is that interesting. Obviously, Yorkshire Dave referred to the. You know, we're getting to the stage now where it's, it's not just the number of games, so you're right, the games in hand, the extra games will make a big difference, but it really is about who those remaining games are against because, you know, Yorkshire Dave made the point that his Boston team have half a dozen fairly winnable games at the end of the, the end of the season, so if, if they need to make up some ground, if they need to find some, you know, some extra victories just to leapfrog somebody else, you've got the opportunity to do so there as well. But mm. talking about the Red Sox reminds me that having cussed the Red Sox for you last week, Yorkshire Dave, I also managed to cuss Pete Alonso 
after I was singing his praises and, and how he managed to reach that 100 homer milestone in record fashion, he's currently, I think, I think he might have gone zero for 19 at bat. And there's a cracking video of him smashing his bat over the knee, a proper good tantrum. I think he was up against the Cardinals uh, and he threw a, a proper strop. And that's what I like to see, being a, a big kid myself, I do like to see people not afraid to throw childish tantrums in the, on the baseball field as well. I don't know if you guys can think of any other great baseball strops, anybody else, you, how you feel about bats being broken, throwing away general bad behaviour once you've struck out? <laughs> I can't think of anything offhand, um, to be honest. I'm not surprised that Peter Alonso, I think we mentioned it last week, actually he's a very focused individual, isn't he? And seeing him in that home run derby, I could imagine him not taking it well if he's not performing, not just on a personal level, which I suppose the home derby run is more about you personally, isn't it? But, you know, doing it for uh, the, the team as well, he's going to, he's going to, to take it well I, I can't you know individual players um, some of them are quite cool about it aren't they just accept it as part of the life of being a professional baseball hitter it's notoriously a difficult thing to do isn't it you know I think we've mentioned before in what other uh, walk of life can you fail seven times out of ten and still be considered a great success but it does get to them, and especially if they go on uh, a slump and uh, the fans might start getting on, on their back. But, uh, yeah, they, they break back sometimes just by actually hitting the ball, don't they? Sometimes that can go well for them. But, yeah, sometimes they might just take it out on the equipment. And there's no, there's no uh, nothing against that in the rules. I don't think, unlike tennis, I don't think there's uh, any equipment abuse uh, for... Uh, baseball. Uh, I'm always high, well, pretty much always highly impressed when you see a guy being struck out. He just walks back to the the dugout. Um, it very rarely do you see them disputing it. Now, yeah, they're up three or four times a day. As you said, it's a game of failure in a lot of ways because most times that's what's going to be happening to you. Tennis was a good example. As a, as a golfer, uh, um, I've tried to analyse this. I, I won't mention it, but I've probably got at least one friend who could hit a bad shot and get fairly angry with his golf club. Now, if you get angry with a golf club, I always think you have two advantages compared to a baseball bat in that um, the golf club is designed to go down to the ground level, whereas to smash a baseball bat off the ground isn't really that you've got to do something physical whereas a golf club you just you finish your swing and then you just hit the ball the club into the ground again you also have the advantage advantage is inverted commas here but you also have the advantage in golf that you have a golf bag that you can strike as well uh, so if you want to take your fury out on something physical not the course you can swipe it against your bag and, and, I, and I won't recount a story about one of my friends who did that on one of our trips this year and it wasn't until the next day that he went into his bag to get a particular club out to, to discover that that club had borne too much of the brunt 
of that bag smashing incident and only half a club came out. <laughs> I've heard I've heard golf commentators refer to people being half a club short, Alan. That must be what they meant. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to keep that one because it'll happen again with this chap. <laughs> I've seen on occasion this year on the on the baseball pitch, quite often uh, the batter might remove their helmet and really just chuck that against home plate uh, before storming off or some poor bat boy has to go and collect their items. But I've seen the helmet used quite a lot uh, for frustration. Yeah, absolutely. What would be the equivalent in other sports? And what about in cricket? Yorkshire Dave, I know you're a man that knows his his cricket. What would be the what would be the equivalent of a tantrum? Has anyone ever kicked their stumps once they've been <laughs> given out or whatever that kind of thing? Uh, well, yeah, it does get surprisingly perhaps does get heated, especially in the, during an Ashes Test. Uh, I'm just you know, trying to rack my Rack my brains and think about this. I suspect during the the seventies there were probably quite a few incidents. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of the culprits might have been on the Aussie side, sort of Merv Hughes, who looked like he could wrestle alligators and and win. Uh, Dennis Lilly, who actually I'm pretty sure he introduced, um, tried to introduce as a sort of sporting product an aluminium bat. <laughs> Which was again, I'm pretty sure it was aluminium anyway, metal bat, which was against all the rules. And I have a feeling that might have, uh, you know, when he got barred from using that, that might have ended up uh, demolishing the stumps or uh, part of the ground. But yeah, that would be pretty much uh, frowned upon. And uh, you, you, you know, if you hit your own stumps, you probably get, you probably be given out. Yeah, absolutely. I think in football and soccer, I don't think you get too many great tantrums. Occasionally someone will get a red card and be pretty unhappy about it. But yeah, I think Peter Londo, I guess in Peter Londo's case, when you know how much damage you can do when you do hit a ball, the times when you strike out must be all the more frustrating because you know that if you do get batting ball, you've got a history of, of getting home runs there. And, and home runs will be needed for my Mariners as well as they close out the season. They've managed to edge themselves back in front of the Oakland A's, who have been on something of a slump of late. So the Mariners are currently second in the Air West. But they're six games behind the Astros, so they're not going to make that up. The challenge will be, can they get themselves into that kind of playoff picture? And I think between the Yankees, the Blue Jays and the Red Sox, who are all three or four games ahead, you might be able to catch one team at this stage who are three games ahead of you. But the chances of catching three, especially when you know the Yankees and the Red Sox will be coming up against each other. Looks like Ireland, like the Mariners, will probably come up a bit short. But I notice your Tigers have kind of inched back up again and they're only a victory behind the Indians, albeit having played a couple of games more at the moment. And realistically, if you could get up to, to finish the season second in the AL Central, would that be considered a, a real success for Detroit this year? It would be fantastic success and a, and a lot of testament uh, to AJ Hinch, to be honest. I think, again, I would say I don't know enough about baseball, but from a sporting perspective, looking at it, um, he's inherited a team who were poor, but he's found a way to make them win games. And in a sport like baseball, where you're going to win fairly regularly, 
Uh, I know this might sound a little bit contradictory, but I think that's that's pretty important. So I haven't done an analysis of it, but I'd imagine there's a lot of games where you're maybe winning by a, a limited number of runs. Last night's game, I think, was the was scoreless until the eleventh innings. So those are probably the sort of games that a losing team will generally lose. But I have half an impression that's one of the things that they've they've installed a winning mentality in there, and they've got a good, a good, good bunch of players in, in there as well. That have been they're obviously well coached then as well. So you know, second would would be fantastic. If maybe just interject quickly about the the rage one. I may have mentioned this in a previous podcast, but. You talk about football, and obviously football, I think, is well refereed. So the referee needs to get on top of these things, and it is usually the equipment. But if you want a bit of equipment rage, um, Google David Miller, Giro d'Italia, throwing his bike away. So uh, David Miller was a a successful Scottish cyclist, uh, and I think he had a good chance of winning this stage on the the Giro d'Italia, and then like three or four hundred yards left, had a mechanical problem. Uh, I, I believe, not a hundred percent certain, but the road was on the edge of some sort of um, incline. I, I don't know how far it was, but the bike wouldn't go. He got off his bike, he picked it up, and he just threw it over the barriers down the hill. So, as a man who spent twelve weeks this summer trying to get his own bike carbon frame fixed. Um, I don't know what I think of one of our pros taking a twenty, thirty thousand pound machine or whatever, and then saying, "Oh, uh, bugger it," and just chucking it over the hedge. But uh, that's professional sport on the edge, isn't it? You've given your all for four or five hours, and then something like that happens in the run, and you're—that's eh, going to be mentally tougher, I guess, than striking out. I always felt that at work. You know, if I'd been working on a particularly difficult motor fleet renewal and it wasn't wasn't uh, renewed after a couple of weeks you know I'd get the old motor fleet rate book and rip it up and into shreds and throw it in the bin that's how passionate I was about motor fleet insurance there's an interesting insight for those of you who didn't know about the, the hidden workings and the hidden passion behind the world of, of insurance there and uh, Dave Jr is that a a passion and insurance world that you recognise well yourself. Oh yes, absolutely. Dave passed it on to me. Dave, Dave left me all of his grey matter. Uh, it's interesting what Alan says about the bike there because I was led to believe that they just made bikes from old washing machine parts. Is that not the Graham Aubrey method? Uh, Graham Aubrey set a world record using washing machine parts. Uh, he it was the it was the one hour. The furthest distance in one hour on, a, on, a, on, a, on an indoor track, I think he said it. And it caused all sorts of consternation because, like your story about Eddie Gado last week, where they had to change the, the MLB got involved in changing the rules or checking all the contracts. So this caused such consternation with the UCI that they introduced all sorts of rules um, around uh, what was and wasn't allowed on a bike. Um, so... Graham O'Brien, another famous Scottish cyclist. In fact, a member of one of my friend's cycling clubs. Uh, and the great thing about that is when you're a world champion or a national champion, you you can always have, or a world champion would always have the rainbow stripes. Um, they're entitled to wear that on their, their cycle clothing. 
So this day-to-day -day Scottish cycling club go and order their 50 shirts for the new season, but they always get one with the, the rainbow stripes around it as well, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that is terrific. That is terrific. Sorry, Dave Junior. No, I was just going to say, so that sounded like when you're talking about Graham Obrey's record there. Was that the one-hour spin cycle then? Oh, oh. We have a winner. We have a winner. Love it. Love it. Uh, and by way of reward, Dave Junior, you, the floor is yours. The Chicago White Sox. You guys have been just kicking back and relaxing for weeks now. Your your spot in the postseason has been assured, but what kind of form have you been in? What's the kind of feeling among White Sox fans? Are you going to go into the postseason on a high? Well, you're right. We've been kicking back, and it's a shame Dave's just left the the call there. But we even done him the good favour of tossing him a game uh, during the week. So I hope he was grateful for that. Um, no, uh, genuinely. This week, again, you try and take the positives where you can. Um, and we've not competed well against teams that are over 500 this season, although that trend has started to turn around recently. And again, listening to, as a podcast, listen to a White Sox Talk podcast, uh, and they're more interested in, well, in those games. You might not necessarily win them, but do you compete? Um, and I think that's always been the case. It's, it's rare that we've been humped in these games. So in the last week, we've come up against the A's, uh, where we competed. We, we lost that series um, away 2-1, but we, we could have easily picked it up 3-0, or you could have lost it 3-0. As Dave alluded to earlier tonight, uh, the, the series against the, the Red Sox was really entertaining, really different games throughout. Um, but again, I think one run separated all three games, um, and both teams competed strongly. And I think... Uh, both teams were missing a few players as well. So um, it's, it's really quite interesting there that if you get to the, the playoffs, these are the types of teams you're going to be up against. It's important to, to show that you can compete. Um, on a personal moment, uh, to win the series was fantastic with Liuri Garcia hitting his first ever career walk-off. Uh, and that was really special for him. He's the longest tenured White Sox player we've got at nine years. Um, and he's a real Swiss Army knife type of a player. And he, he's fit in all season, deputising uh, when other main starters uh, haven't been around. Um, but to come back to your point about kind of coasting towards the end of the season, our our hopes now, we've picked up a few injuries recently, but it's getting those guys back, giving them game time and allowing them to pick up some, some good form before you hit postseason. Um, but also, more importantly, trying to... You know, we'll never catch the Rays in terms of best percentage this season, but if we can catch and overtake the Houston Astros, it'd be great to get that home field advantage for the playoffs against them, which is which is how things are panning out just now. Uh, something I mentioned last week, instead of playing four games potentially on the AstroTurf in, in Texas, you could have four games on the lush green turf of Chicago, uh, which again, all those home comforts absolutely help you. So our... Our magic number is now down to seven in terms of winning our, our division. Um, and it looks very likely with six or seven away games coming up that we could very well clinch that divisional championship over um, over the next week or two, which would be fantastic for the White Sox. Um, again, around about this time next week, we do have a series of games against Allen's Tigers. <laughs> so it could... 
we, we might just clinch it against those guys at some point, even by default if Cleveland keeps slipping up. Um, but no, things are looking good. Um, again, avoid those injuries and keep some good form heading into October. And actually, when you mentioned the White Sox are, are not far away from clinching that division, they are uh, the Dodgers, the defending world champions, have cemented their place. They managed to secure their berth and at least the, you know in the playoffs just a, a day or two ago uh, by beating the Diamondbacks and, and the Padres and the Cincinnati Reds lost. So the Dodgers have, have, to the surprise of no one, secured their spot in the postseason. But how likely do we think the Dodgers are? to successfully regain, retain, I should say, the World Series? How do we rate their chances? Alan? You would always fancy a big team like the Dodgers. I think I've, although I'm a Tigers fan, I think I've said before that the Dodgers was the first major league ground I went to see, which was a, a great experience and a opportunity for me to, to go and do that. Uh, I like their colours. There's a nice wee shade of blue in there, Richard. They're, they're one of the they're one of the superpowers. My, my only thought on it, on a negative perspective, is I, I, I still have this theory in my head that uh, baseball teams tend not to go and win three or four World Series out of five years. I think it's always even evenly spread around. But when, when you look at it, and I think I was looking at one of the teams were playing in the fantasy league recently um and you look at the the lineup of some of the teams you're playing and there's there's Dodgers pitchers in there and you think you're, you're going to be up against it they they've got they've got good good strength and depth so um out with the bullpen I'll be uh, cheering on the Dodgers well, the Dodgers will definitely, as great a team as they are, they are up against history. No MLB team has managed to, to win consecutive World Series since the Yankees pulled off a hat-trick of World Series championships between 1998 and 2000. But but Yorkshire, Dave, the Dodgers definitely still look like they've got the, the tools, the, the, the team that people will have to beat in the postseason. Yeah, I think they mean business as well. I think we've mentioned it before, they want to particularly want to win it this year so that, um, that, you know, there's definitely no accusations that they only won it in a 60-game season last year. So they're definitely good enough to do it. The San Francisco Giants have been incredible this year. I mean, they sort of not exactly come from nowhere, but, you know, to have a record like they have, um, and they, I don't think they've reached the playoffs for the last few years, have they, the Giants? So... It's incredible. You look at um, Dodgers' numbers. I think, I think they've got the. We always talk about run differential, do we? But I think it's, it's becoming something I'm increasingly looking at. And uh, the LA Dodgers have the by far the biggest run differential, plus two hundred and forty-two than any other team in baseball. There's nobody um, even with a two hundred. So I think that says something they can uh, let's have a look at their uh, runs against. Let's see. Can't see where I'm looking, but yeah, I, I think they can score runs and they've got a great pitching staff and they've definitely got the determination and the will to, to do it this year. So 
you know, I, I then on Milwaukee, I, I'd like to see the Brewers get there, to be honest. But yeah, if the Dodgers do it again, even though I went off them when they left Brooklyn, um, you know, 60 odd years ago, <laughs> tore the heart out of Brooklyn. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, they're a proper team, aren't they? Proper club. Just on run differential, just to clarify a point from last week's podcast um, about my age. Uh, my age is not comparable to the Tampa Bay uh, run differential, but as things stand just now, I'm currently sat somewhere between Boston and Oakland. <laughs> well, that's a nice, a nice range for people to try to work out. Oh, no, I like that, like that a lot. And obviously the Dodgers, a key part of their success is, of course, Mookie Betts. Uh, Yorkshire, they've seen the passage of a bit of time. Do you think the Boston fans have, have made their peace a bit with losing such a talented player? I don't know about... It's, it's something that's that's happened and he's not the only uh, big-name player. I think we talked about this before as well, the whole of that great outfield uh, that they had you know, back in... 2018 has gone, but in the trade they got Verdugo back, uh, Doogie, as uh, I think his nickname is, um, and I really like him. He's uh, so they, they need to be successful. Probably. They need to get to the playoffs on a regular basis. They need to get a championship and a World Series um, in order for the fans not to, in a few years' time, say, "Well." You really messed up this franchise by not being the big spenders that that you were when uh, the uh, this current ownership took over. Um, you know, twenty odd years ago, they've uh, won four World Series in that time. But there's definitely been a change in strategy, and they're not looking to to be. They're still big spenders, but they're not above the luxury tax are not in the top three anymore. And they're looking to rely a little bit more on their farm system and prospects. So, um, but if that doesn't work, the Boston fans will really, you know, you'll know it from them. They, they're very passionate, but also very critical. Just listen to the Tony Maz podcast and uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see that. Similar to the Yankees, possibly even worse, um, you know, so yeah, they won't take it well if uh, the you know if this becomes another. I think I said it before. You know, it's not going to be another curse like when they sold Babe Ruth to the the Yankees and all of a sudden they started winning twenty uh, odd World Series to Boston's zero. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but it's it's definitely still something that uh, rankles with me a little bit when you've got someone who was so good as him and such a favourite and, um, you know, he's gone. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. Dave, Dave Jr., in terms of the, the Dodgers, obviously a powerhouse team. Could your White Sox, if your paths cross ultimately in the postseason, how confident would you be of the White Sox of either beating or the Dodgers or at least pushing them hard? I've got to be honest, Richard, um, the National League is almost like a foreign sexy mystery to me this year um, <laughs> again with our with our four teams all really being involved heavily in the American League my and you know when you're in the American League your, your paths cross very seldom 
uh, with those teams in the National League. And I quite like that, if I'm being honest. Um, uh, and, you know, there definitely are some, some cross-divisional games going. But in terms of keeping up to date with the players and the squads day to day, I'll cast my eye over seeing who's doing well. But, um, you know, you look at that particular div- division that you've got the Dodgers. Um, I'm right in saying you've got the Giants and the Padres as well. You could liken that in some ways to, to Dave's division. Um, where you've got a couple of weaker teams in there as well with the Diamondbacks and the Rockies, I believe. Um, so it's, it, it's hard to see how these things pan out. It'd be interesting to see how the Dodgers compete with the other big names. Um, because as much as, as they have clinched that playoff berth, they're still a million miles away from actually clinching the division itself. Um, I think from memory, and again, this just comes from the fantasy point of view, I'm sure they've had some injuries on the pitching front as well. Uh, Kershaw was doing really well for them, but I, th- I think he was injured or is injured. Um, but uh, did did one of the big the big hitting pitchers not go there as well during the off season? Um, but again, sorry, some ignorance with the Dodgers just now. They're absolutely a force to be reckoned with. They've got some excellent, excellent players. If you look through that that roster, start to finish. Um, but I don't see them on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so I, I'm not sure can I, if Dave's got any feelings in that at all. What, Dave? Ah, oh, sorry, I thought you were signalling to, to come back in there, Dave, uh, about the Dodgers. Sorry, I've said my piece on the Dodgers, you know, good luck to them. I'd, I'd sooner it wasn't, you know, them actually. I'm going to go, I'm going to go all in for my National League team. Brewers. Cheers. That's what I like to see. And Yorkshire Davis hosting, uh, hoisting, I should say, a glass of the, the amber nectar uh, to his lips, as he says. Uh, good to see. Good to see. Now, of course, the MLB postseason playoff picture still isn't clear, but there is huge news. In the postseason world of the British podcasters, Fantasy League, baseball podcasts, Fantasy League. And Alan, as a man who's very much, along with Yorkshire Dave, steered this ship all season, could you let the listeners know, are we going to be in the, the, the postseason or not? We are in the championship bracket. We oh. have mm-hmm. not messed around. Give, give us a Hamish. I thought you were going to give us a Hamish there, Richard. Well, I'll get Hamish on. I'll get Hamish on the case, Alan. You'll definitely want to want to celebrate that news because that's a fantastic debut season achievement with a yeah. pristine team. <laughs> no, absolutely fantastic. I, I could have built it up into a five-minute tale of woe, but I know everybody just wants to know the bottom line that we made it. So we top six teams make the playoffs, and we entered the last week in fourth place. Uh, coincidentally, we were playing the team in seventh place, and all we had to do was avoid a six-point defeat from the team in seventh place, um, who beat us 8-2. So you baseball statisticians have already worked out that they then overtook us. Um, And we were very fortunate, our two points, one of the teams in fifth place, I think, accumulated three and a half or four points in the week. So we pumped them over the whole season by the roughly one point. Uh, so uh, 
Absolutely fantastic and frantic and concerning for us. And I think both Dave and myself have some tales of, of panic. It, it always looked we were up against it, against Big League 2 in the last week. Um, the We were... We were slightly ahead in strikes, and strikes always looked a reasonably safe category. Saves and holds. Big League Two, I think, had recorded 16 saves the whole week. It came up to us and recorded four in the one week uh, and managed to half that. We we half the stolen bases in two, but we, we pretty much got beat in every other category. And other than looking to our last game and getting three home runs in the last innings, um, we were pretty much well out of each category, so pretty wasn't a great performance from us. Um, but what's what I've always said? It's almost like when you win the league by drawing at home when you needed to win, but your rivals get beat. It doesn't matter what you do because it's a, the whole twenty-two weeks that actually counts and. Um, that's we, we knew as we went along that was important and we were racking up the points as we went along uh, and fantastic. So we're now in week one of the playoffs. We're playing Newmarket Greyhounds, which sounds like a mixture of two sports that we might well enjoy from time to time. Uh, early days, halfway, th- we're not even halfway through. We're doing okay in pitching, but our, our bats are a bit quiet, which is a wee bit similar to last last week as well. Um, uh, but hopefully I'm not up till two in the morning fretting that Jimmy McCann of the New York Mets is going to steal his first base of the season, which would have meant that we'd have been in the consolation bracket, or as Dave Jr. called it, the Europa Conference League. Well, we've avoided that ignominy. And as you say, Alan, the fact of the matter is it's the performance over the course of the season that's that's rightly earned us our place here. And who do we who do we reckon? I probably don't even need to ask, but who would your money on be for claiming that championship then, Alan? Who's the, the form horse, as people from Newmarket might say? Well, obviously I'd I'd, I'd back the boys in the bullpen. Um, I think I was chatting to Dave earlier about this and We've had a few injuries. Uh, we've we've got uh, Tim Anderson and JD Martinez back in there. We've got a good balance of pitchers across the team, so I think we'd be pretty good. I, birds birds with balls lead the way, but fly ball to the moon are, are not too far behind them. But if you want a dark horse, um, Birmingham AV. Uh, I think I've said before. I don't know if that stands for Aston Villa or not, um, but they've shot up. The, the standings in recent weeks got themselves into fourth place, uh, currently holding a healthy lead over Big League Two uh, in the in the in the uh, early playoffs here. So if you're looking for a, somebody looking for end of season and post season form, there, there's a wee outside bet for you. Don't rely on the guys who've got themselves all the way here all season. One of the beauties of baseball. Uh, the, the championship will be decided through these three games and not the 22 that preceded them. Exciting, exciting week ahead then, so we can look forward to that very much. So we've made history there by claiming a championship berth in the debut season of the Highland Bullpen. But a man who made rather more significant history would probably concede was Roberto Clemente 
and we record today on September the 15th, which MLB have announced we will be forevermore going forward, Roberto Clemente Day for MLB. And Yorkshire Dave is a man who's brought us a, a previous exceptionally good listen, a really great feature you did, which we'd urge our, our listeners to check out when you look back through past episodes of the Highland Bullpen featuring Roberto Clemente. It seems kind of hard to believe that's been a year has gone past already there. Uh, Dave, but I know Roberto Clemente is a man close to your heart in the baseball landscape. It is surprising that it's um, it's over a year ago now, and I'm sure Alan will uh, be able to sort of pin this uh, week's episode when it goes out with a link to um, the piece that we did about Roberto Clemente, and that be you know he's someone who is revered throughout baseball and uh, was immediately after his tragic death back in the 71, 72 was it and um, we revere him as well in the Highland bullpen and it's quite nice to to take this moment to just say a few things about um, what is celebrated on Roberto Clemente Day. There is an award, um, (coughs) humanitarian Award to recognise his uh, great achievements in, you know, in uh, philanthropy while he was a player. And um, what they do every year, each club nominates a person from their organisation who they think is worthy of that award. And then there is a vote which fans can take part in. So although the day is today, You've got from today until the end of the regular season, which I think is the 3rd of October, to make your vote. I've not done that before, actually, but it looks fairly straightforward, like you would vote for the All-Star game. So there are 30 nominees, one from each club, and uh, I just had a quick look down and um, picked out the ones from the four teams that we follow. Um, Boston, it's the one of the race pitchers, starting pitchers, uh, Nate Iavaldi. He, um, um, I don't know if you know that Boston Red Sox, I think most clubs are associated with some local charities, but they have their own long-standing charity called the Jimmy Fund. And it's been going since 1948. And it's a children's uh, charity um, for sick, sick kids, basically and uh, there's a long history behind it. And Nate Navalde is the Jimmy Fund, Jimmy Fund captain, and he's been nominated, so you can vote for him if you want. Um, the Tigers man is Miggy himself, Big Mig. He's uh, co-chair of the uh, Protect Michigan uh, Commission, which promotes the state's COVID-19 vaccination and education efforts, and um, he helps in doing public service announcements in English and Spanish. So you can see the kind of things that they're supporting the clubs and the players support. Uh, the White Sox, I'm glad to see an Aussie in there, Liam Hendricks, uh, nicknamed Slider. Him and his wife uh, set up, um, they created the South Slider Society, which does good work on uh, that side of the city. And your own uh, Mariners, uh, Rico, it's Kyle Seeger. He's um, got a long-standing... Um, set up which is um, uh, work against domestic violence so 
those are the four that I picked out for our teams, but every club is, uh, is, is nominated. So go on the site. You've got plenty of time to have a look at it and vote for vote for your player. It's been going since um, 1972. The, the Institute, it's straight away. Straight away. That's how much the guy was uh, loved and what he did for the game and beyond. So um, there's been a, a winner every year. And uh, it's quite good to look back over the list of winners. Recent uh, Hall of Fame inductee Derek Jeter is a past winner as well. Um, Red Sox David Papiotis as well. So uh, there's, there's, there's some famous names in there, and it's a it's a really great thing that baseball does. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a number of players on who are still active, a number of current players who are past winners as well, including, talked about the Dodgers earlier, but Albert Pujols and Clayton Kershaw, both of the Dodgers past winners, as is Carlos Carrasco from the Mets and Anthony Rizzo at the Yankees as well. Uh, and will we remember and honour the contribution of those from Puerto Rico and other Hispanic countries? Uh, Alex Cora became the first Puerto Rican to win the World Series as a manager for the Red Sox in 2018. Uh, Yorkshire Dave as well. So there's yeah. a lot of a lot of a lot of great history embodied by the revered Roberto Clemente, but huge, huge contribution currently and for the future from the, the wider Hispanic community as well. And and you rightly reference some of the great charitable efforts of some of those individuals as well, that good work they do for important worthwhile worthwhile causes. And we'd like to take a wee bit of a, a change of pace for us in the bullpen here, uh, because we'd like to bring Alan in to talk about uh, some charity activity, which he has uh, led and has made a really huge difference to, to a lot of lives. And there's an opportunity for everyone who listens to the bullpen to support that work because it's incredibly valuable, worthwhile. Uh, and Alan, could, could I bring in to tell us yeah. a little bit more about it? Yeah, no, thank you. I'll, I'll maybe just very quickly say with the Roberto Clemente Award, I'm actually feeling, um, it was, well, Good research, Dave, telling us about the different charities there. And I know it might seem a slightly trivial point, but I'm actually, in our fantasy team, the batsman who played the most games was Kyle Seeger. And the pitcher who pitched the most games was Nate Eovaldi. So as somebody who recognises, or we all recognise the importance of charitable work and good causes. That actually makes me uh, feel quite good that we stuck with these two guys and, and they got us into the playoffs, so so well deserved. So, no, th- thanks for that, Richard. I think a few of the guys listening might know that um, I, I ran a small charity, the, the Emma Cameron Foundation, which is named after my, my daughter who passed away of cancer um, some t- 10 years ago. Uh, so uh, between us, uh, we, we do a number of events, a number of fundraising things, and uh, we, we've probably raised in that time about £700,000, which is, is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I'm very grateful to everyone who's supported it. Uh, as people will realise, um, the charities have struggled in the last sort of 18 months. Um uh, fundraising has been difficult. Uh, we've not half of our funds latterly were coming from events, uh, and and holding events has been difficult of late. Mm-hmm. We are hoping we our main fundraiser has been a, a Kaylee, which for the Americans you would love it. 
uh, good old Scottish country dancing. Everybody gets up, everybody dances together. There is order to it. If you're watching it, you might doubt that. Um, but it's something that we all get taught, taught in school. We hate it in school. But when we get a wee bit older, it's the most sociable thing you can do. So we go to this great venue in the West End of Glasgow, Oran Moor, uh, and we hold a Cayley. As people would understand, a Cayley's not really practical in, in today's world with, with COVID and uh, you you're touching people and, and what have you. So we're, we're looking to, one of my mates will be doing some live singing entertainment uh, and we're going to be having a disco after that as well with a three-course meal. So this is us getting back into the opportunity to host events, try and get the fundraising a wee bit back on track because when I say we've raised that amount of money, what, what that actually means is that we've been able to give that amount of money to kids and their families um, who are battling cancer. Uh, so we find simple but effective ways to maybe make their life a wee bit better uh, and a wee bit easier. So um, it, it's great to get people's support. Um, it, it's great if people want to, it's a good way to come and meet uh, some of us. I know uh, a couple of you can't manage this year, but uh, will be there so people are welcome to come along uh, it's, a, it's an open event um, and th thanks for the opportunity Richard to uh, explain a wee bit about that as well and um, appropriate link in I guess as well with, with Roberto Clemente. Yeah no Alan I think all of us certainly everyone here in the bullpen and beyond recognises and respects your, your, your incredible efforts over a decade and the difference that all those all that fundraising has made to lives of so many children battling cancer as well. So what I would ask you, Alan, from my own uh, knowledge as well, is what's the best way for people to get in touch? I think there's a an Emma Cameron Foundation.org.uk. There is website. a website. Um, I tend to use Facebook um, mostly for that. There's Facebook, Twitter, and there's a website, Facebook, Twitter, and what's the other one, Instagram. See me, they, they up there with the kids. Um so Facebook, we tend to, and you can message us, you message us there. There's, there's donate, how to donate details on the website and, and that as well. So um, lots of different ways. We, we, we'll, if people want to donate money, we've got ways of getting your money. <laughs> and, and all of those donations, Alan, no matter how, how, how small, how big, they can make a difference. And I think yep. that's the thing. Would. Absolutely. And, and, and one of the things the trustees are committed to here, there's no... There's no expenses involved in our charity. We're um, uh, all the money we raise. We're, we do this out of our love for Emma and our desire to help other kids. So we're not. There's no. Um, there's, there's no costs involved here. So we get every penny uh, out out to the people that need the help. And we'll make sure that all of, all of the links and the, the website's terrific. It's a really nice website. Well worth a visit. Uh, but we'll make sure all the links are included in the podcast episode and description. So please, whatever platform you're using to listen, please just scroll down to, to read the full description because we'll make sure you can find out how to, to visit and follow and potentially contribute to a really, really worthwhile cause. On that note, uh, I think that probably does that wrap us up for this week in the bullpen. There's always one. Looks like I've got one last at bat left and it's Mr. Cameron who's swinging yeah. the wood. Slightly extra innings, but um, I just wanted to comment on that amazing British 
sporting achievement uh, at, at the weekend. Um, absolutely fantastic. It was something that a lot of us never expected to see. Um, great piece of athleticism. And to have one of the bullpen bros, Dave Jr., run a half marathon, I, I think is worthy of all the headlines it attracted. So well done, young Dave. We're very proud of you. So congratulations. <laughs> You know, a, a tremendous, a tremendous achievement, and a tremendous note for us to close up the bullpen. Thank you, listeners, for joining us this week. Be sure to to come back, visit us again next week, and look back over all of the past episodes. There's some real gems in there. Roberto Clemente Day, we're proud to record today in honour of Roberto. Please do check out the previous podcast where we do a really nice feature on it. With that, have a fantastic week, everyone, and we'll see you next week on the Highland Bullpen.